This is Michael, host of the political podcast, Cuckoo for Politics. I am so passionate about politics, hence the name Cuckoo for Politics, and I hope you are too. Thanks for joining. This is a podcast discussion on political perspectives on various issues that matter with citizens of the world. So I do ask that you grab your favorite libations, whether it be coffee, tea, water, juice, beer, wine, or a spirit or two, and let's get ready for some lively conversation and let's learn something together. When one thinks of the state of Florida, what comes to mind, especially during the cold winter months? I suspect, like all of us, images of walking along the white sandy beaches as a warm water caresses your feet, watching people build sandcastles may come to mind. Or you may be that individual that loves to sunbathe and just chill with a cold, frosty beer or a fancy cocktail that has an umbrella in it. Other popular images that comes to mind when one thinks of Florida is definitely probably the popular nightlife that could be found anywhere in South Florida, or maybe having fun at many of the amusement parks, such as Walt Disney and Universal Studios. Oh my gosh, how could I forget? What about launching of the spacecrafts from the Kennedy Space Center? That is definitely iconic and associated with the state. To me, personally, when I think of Florida... I revert back to my childhood memories of one of my favorite 80s TV cop show called Miami Vice. I know of every male teenager at that time wanted to be one of the characters, Crockett or Tubbs, driving a 1972 convertible Ferrari with the sounds of either the TV show theme song or the song by Phil Collins in the air tonight, blasting in the background. No matter what image comes to mind when thinking of Florida, it is definitely associated with fun, relaxation, humidity, but above all, warm and sunny skies throughout most of the year. Of course, excluding the rainy and hurricane seasons. Fun fact, Florida has become the most popular southeastern state and second most popular state in a region after Texas. Overall, Florida has an ever-growing senior population that is very diverse, and the whole state as a whole has very dynamic communities. However, the state of Florida has been in the news lately, and not based on the characteristics I just mentioned, but what it has transformed under the current Governor Ron DeSantis, the state's 46th governor who came into power in 2019. His prior occupation, he was just a congressman from Florida's 6th District, which includes parts of Jacksonville, Daytona, and New Smyrna Beach. Various media outlets have described him as a potential Republican presidential nominee in 2024, or perhaps the VP spot if Trump decides to run again. Now, DeSantis has made several, several excuse me, obscure public statements that has garnered him national attention. Currently, he's seeking re-election as governor, and he has positioned himself, and the state for that matter, as the symbol of the freest state in the United States, insofar as his opposition to the lockdowns, the mask and vaccine mandates, which he himself has received twice and is boosted, along with any other types of restrictions to any Floridian. Now, all of these policies he's opposed was initiated under the previous administration, and continue partly under the current president. Plucked from obscurity, 
until the former president endorsed him, he has single-handedly transformed Florida's political climate. As a proud New Yorker, I will proudly boast New York sets the trends for the country and the world, period. That's not even debatable. However, I must humbly admit, in the last couple of years, from an observational perspective, DeSantis' public persona and decrees he has signed, coupled with the growing population, has altered the state's political landscape. It has even earned an additional congressional seat and electoral vote, which will be crucial in the next presidential election. Ironically, other nearby states are too attempting to mimic DeSantis' political operation in raising the stakes on the culture wars under the false pretense of defending freedom. In this brief two-part series titled, What's Up With Florida?, I, along with my guests, will be discussing the recent legislation and actions initiated under the state's governor in his effort to reinforce his conservative brand as he unofficially positions himself to be his party's presidential nominee. This episode, we will share our perspectives on parental rights in education, the law also known as Don't Say Gay, along with the proposed election police force to combat supposed voter fraud. Joining me in discussion is my guest, longtime friend and Raw and Cut political commentator, Sam Jean. Our story began when he and I met attending Eastern Nazarene College undergrad, which is a Christian liberal arts college located in Quincy, Massachusetts, near the city of Boston. It was there we formed a bond as we were both majors in history. Sam graduated from ENC with a distinction magnum cum laude and soon after pursued a Juris Doctorate from Boston University as I pursued a master's degree in political science inducted to the Phi Sigma Alpha Honor Society from St. John's University in Queens, New York. Sam currently resides in Los Angeles and is a practicing attorney who became a partner at Neil Schwartz Associates. He has worked for various entertainment companies before establishing his own consulting company, advising clients in the areas of strategic and crisis communication, along with media relations. He teaches part-time on a grad level, relaying his expertise on related subject matters. He has made several media appearances in the U.S. and Canada on the subject of U.S. policy. We have kept in touch throughout the years and often get together to discuss various political topics of the day. Hence, why he has become my Kuka for Politics brother of Raw and Cut episodes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Kuka for Politics. Let's get ready for some lively discussion while learning something together. What's up, good people? Michael here, host of the political podcast, Cooking for Politics. I'm glad to be back, and I'm here with my Raw and Uncut brother, Sam Jean, as we once again engage in various political topics of the day. Now, Sam, welcome back, and I wanted to get your perspectives on this. Now, we really talked about a lot in previous episodes, and I'm not going to rehash things, but there is something on our recent conversation, we talked about the critical race theory. And I thought it would come, basically come to a conclusion, we could move forward. But if you don't mind, if we go back to it a little, and the reason why I'm saying this is you mentioned in the podcast episode that the subject of CRT usually comes up, not during the course of the year, but comes up specifically around election time. 
And as you know, various states are entering the primary season. And I see something that boggles my mind, which is the state of Florida. Um, Now, other states do it too, but the state of Florida is basically the battleground at the present moment that showcases all these anti-woke, I guess, laws that they plan to implement. And are you familiar with how Governor DeSantis, he has now put in place that certain math textbooks are questionable because it somehow is indoctrinating students on other critical race theory points, such as they're finding that, what is it that uh, I was looking for? Oh, it's under the Parental Rights and Education, also known as Don't Say Gay. And it falls under that umbrella because they're basically he is saying that these certain math subjects are addressing social injustice, culturally responsive teaching, social learning. Um, could you help probably myself as well as the listeners understand what is behind this and how does that relate to math? Well, Michael, I can answer it in two ways. Uh, One way is to talk about it politically, because that's that's what this is. This is Ron DeSantis deciding that if something should happen to Trump, that he would like to be president. And this is part of his political strategy to enamor him with conservatives. That's really what's behind this. Now, what they're trying to sell to people is to suggest again that there are certain ideas that are being forced on children and that these ideas are a form of indoctrination. And that type of indoctrination is liberal ideology and that kind of indoctrination makes primarily white students feel left out, alienated, feel as if they're oppressors. That kind of language is what they use, and that's their justification. So you can't teach anything that will make one group feel a particular way about a particular thing. Now, when I read this article about them banning the textbooks, I was curious as to what, what did they find objectionable? One of the things that they found objectionable is, you know how in math books, or in books in general, I mean, we haven't been in primary school for years, Michael, right? <laughs> but, True. But in, in, in certain textbooks, uh, they'll give you an idea of what a theory is, or, you know, let's say you, you're studying Euclidean geometry. You know, they'll do a little blurb about Euclid, you know? Oh, and also, like, probably, like, math story problems. Math story problems, but they'll give you a tip of, he, 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 he's the person who invented algebra, or something to that effect. And so in one of the books, they happened to mention that a mathematician they were discussing was Black. That was what prompted the outrage that this particular book needed to be removed. Another book needed to be removed because part of the math problem was trying to encourage people to work together. Well, you certainly can't have kids learning about working together. So that book needed to be removed. It has nothing to do with what they say. It is just political posturing, and it's making a certain segment 
of, of conservatives, of Republicans, they feel okay and they feel that they're winning. And the more outrage liberals get, the happier they get. They think they're doing something right because this, you find this bizarre. I find it bizarre. We find it outrageous. To them, that means that it's good. What's crazy is that when they interviewed state legislators, um, one in particular, State Senator Lauren Book, uh, she's a former educator. She voted against this bill. And she said, and I quote, I don't ever remember telling my young students, don't worry, you don't have to pick a gender. She doesn't recall teaching LGBTQ propaganda from secret lesson plans. And she doesn't recall breaking any law by telling a parent they could not review her lessons plans. She, the state senator is basically saying they are creating a problem when there is no problem. But, but that's part of the strategy, right? The strategy is to present something that is perfectly normal as being sinister. Because as long as it is attached to Democrat then it has to be bad. And so now all of a sudden there are fantasies that somehow teachers are directing students to become gay. The teachers are directing students to seek out hormone therapy um, treatment. We're, we're talking about primary school kids. This isn't, so, so for example, we live in a multicultural society which some people don't like. But in the state of Florida, I'm certain, that there are schools that have gay parents, okay? If a kid says to a teacher, what is, uh, where's Tim? Tim's mom? And the teacher says, oh, Tim doesn't have a mom. Tim has two dads. How is that a problem? Because the kid can see it themselves. And if they ask Tim, Tim will be like, I have two dads. It's, it's making an issue. And, and, and you know, Michael, the thing that's frustrating is I thought that we had gotten past this, right? That a kid, uh, that a gay, I thought we had gotten to the point where we wouldn't have these discussions about gay people. I thought we were past this. I thought we understood that a person's sexual orientation, how they how they see themselves, is as important as a person's eye color, which is to say, unimportant. But they're determined to move things back, and this is one of the ways to move it back because there are people who feel that somehow gay people have too many rights. Now, now, mind you, Michael, these are the same people who complain that if someone says race, some, someone says something racist um, and you ask that they be held accountable, that you're canceling them, right? But now they want to cancel everything under the guise of giving parents more rights. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about... Um the repercussions that when you say we, we thought as a society, as a whole, we moved beyond that. And then it seems like we, the repercussions is that we are allowing parents or even students to start shaming 
other kids who are different, um, not only as far as in ethnicity, but in also in their sexual orientation. And the argument by the conservatives is it's basically not allowing teachers to talk about it from K to third grade because children at that age, basically around 10, um, do not know who they are. And so that's what that really is to protect the children from not picking a gender and allowing parents to decide what is being taught in the classroom. And my response is, parents are always involved in the classroom. I mean, they have the PTA, they have um, teacher parent-teacher conference. I don't understand where this is coming from. But Michael, we've already lost because the fact that we have to go through this explanation and, and discuss what teachers actually teach children is ridiculous. There are next to zero examples of this thing that they are afraid happening, happening. But what they'll do is they will distort something that's happened and they're very good at messaging. Remember I told you about Christopher Rufo? He, he was with Ron DeSantis when he signed uh, one of these bills. Uh, and, and now they're also presenting this as anti-grooming, Michael. In other words, they, they're, they're, they're all over the place with it. One, they don't want teachers indoctrinating students. That's one. But number two, they're like some teachers. And, and one conservative actually said a lot of male teachers are trying to groom students, which leads me to believe that, A, they don't know teachers, because I know conservative teachers, and, and, and conservative teachers that I know are offended by the bill. They say that the people who have written it have no idea what teachers do, but this is also an assault on teachers. Parents are always involved. Parents are always have rights, okay? But they'll I'll give you an example. Um, let's say you're in, uh, you're, you're in, you're a junior high teacher, right? And a kid comes to you and a kid says, I, I, I'm confused about, uh, what I want to identify as, but, um, uh, I'm a, I, I was, I was born and identified as a male, but I no longer want to do that. I am afraid to tell my parents, right? Now, Michael, I'm asking you this question. What do you think that teacher should do? Yeah, and this is where the teacher could be caught in the middle. One, you want to protect a child as best you can. Um, but now it's a thorny question. So is the teacher bound by policy or is the teacher bound by um, telling the parent, this is what your child has been discussing with me. Okay, so I know that if I went to a teacher and I told the teacher something that I was afraid to tell my parents, I would expect that teacher to keep it in confidence, especially if I'm, I'm in junior high, right? But there's also a reason that sometimes kids who are in these situations are afraid to tell their parents. 
because they're afraid of the reaction that they will get from their parents, okay? And in certain segments of society, that reaction can lead to them being physically abused by the parent. Right, Michael? When oh, we were abs- growing up. A- absolutely. I, I mean, I know, I know a friend in high school who, who, whose dad thought he was gay and beat him. You know? Like, like seriously beat him and hurt him. And you still have that old school thought. Because I think even there was an incident in Florida that also helped propel this don't say gay is that the child, the, the parent found out late that the child was going through that um, don't, don't call me by Tom, call me Shannon or something to that effect because he identified as being female. And when the parent found out who was a pastor, um, he basically was not only upset, but also took um, excessive measures to try to um, bring back their child back to in their version of normalcy. So you do have that. It's just amazing to me how a party that talks about individual rights and limitation of government is going about trying to police every aspect of of the lives of people while pretending that they're not for political purposes. Exactly. And what do you think also in how they are, um, you know, like you said, the Republican mantra is laissez-faire, let the, let the people decide, let school parents decide, let businesses decide for themselves. Yet Disney takes on a stance and now DeSantis does a replica. He, he, he retaliates and is looking to take away some of their privileges, which I had no idea that they could run their own park uh, under their own entity. Um, and that's another thing. Now Disney is saying now there's a tit for tat between a major corporation against the state governor. Well, the Disney thing is so silly. Uh, it's silly because, again, these are the people who have fought for the free speech rights of corporations, <laughs> right? They, they, these are the same people who tell us corporations are people and they're entitled to free speech. Uh, and free speech, contrary to what a lot of people think, has nothing to do with private to private speech. It has everything to do with the government restricting the speech of individual citizens, right? So if if you say that a corporation has free speech rights, that means that the government cannot limit that corporation's free speech rights. And, and, and if you drill down, really, what did the chairman of Disney say? What did he say that warranted R- R- Ron DeSantis deciding that he was going to he was going to revoke the special status and privileges they enjoyed in, in the state of Florida? What did they really say? We don't like the bill. Okay, we support our LGBTQ families, workers, visitors. How is that worthy of them being tossed out of the state of Florida? It's ridiculous. It's silly. With all the things happening in Florida, this is what Ron DeSantis has decided is important. These kinds of bills. Well, we we all know, as you alluded earlier, this has nothing to do with the children. It has nothing to do with parents. It helps, like you said in the beginning, 
DeSantis' role in the Republican Party to take his agenda and try to challenge Biden in 24. But he has to win the governorship first. And what better way to win the governorship by enacting, or as you probably know, his proposal to have what they got, a pol- uh, election police to safeguard the integrity of the election, basically continuing on the lie of 2020 from his former, well, his former boss and fellow Florida resident Trump, um, that he is proposing to create this election police to find voter fraud, which they still cannot find any. And the two that they found, I mean, there's one case that they found was involved three voters who duplicated their vote and the voters registered were two were Republicans and one was an independent. Well, well Mike, it, this voter fraud joke has somehow managed, it, it's, it's the zombie political weapon that keeps giving and giving and giving when it shouldn't. Because when I sit down and I actually have a conversation with a conservative, there's a lot of stuff they'll say publicly when they're blustering. But when you sit down and you ask somebody, you say, okay, well, you really think the election was stolen. And, 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 and they start giving you their reasonings, right? And for every reason they give, there's a counter to it that's factual, okay? But after talking to them, you realize that the powers that be that do Republican messaging have indoctrinated them to believe that they should win every election, okay? When they win, it's in spite of voter fraud. When they lose, it's because of voter fraud. And when you have a party where half its members believe that completely and another quarter are interested in believing that, you're going to have things like this passing in the state of Florida and you're going to have voters saying, yeah, Ron DeSantis, he's doing a great thing. The other thing you didn't mention is the, 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 the party that always seems to be involved in voter fraud are Republicans. And if I'm being honest, the kind of voter fraud that the kind of voter fraud that becomes statistically relevant, and by statistically relevant, I mean less than 1%, right? But it's still statistically relevant, is people voting in places they don't live. Like they're registered to vote in a couple of different places. The former president's chief of staff this, uh, this week, uh, and last week it was reported, pardon me, not this week, last week it was reported that he he was basically thrown off the voter rolls because he's voting in places where he doesn't live. That's the kind of thing that happens. And I'm not saying that that should happen, but those things don't sway elections, especially also when they're less than 1% of, 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 of voter fraud allegations. But it's just designed, it, it's a mantra. If you can convince the people in your party that when Democrats win elections, it's illegitimate, you won't have to fight. You can put whatever law you have in place and they'll believe it. Yeah, what what kills me is that with all the issues dealing in the state, 
that they are fine. They're trying to create a problem, just like the whole don't don't be gay. Um, they're trying to create a problem that's not there. But look at it. The, the budget for this police force, election police force, is quoted to be five point seven million dollars, which only employs 45 people. And elections are what? Twice a year, the primary and the general election. So what are they going to do in the interim? What are these people going to do? These 45 persons, they're going to just sit around and collect a check? Isn't that something? The, they're going to collect a check from the government. Yes. Okay. They're going to collect a check from the government. The government that conservatives say is bloated, is wasteful. They will have no problems collecting a check from the government. And if you somehow suggest that some poor family in 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 the in the Florida Everglades should get more in public assistance, they'll tell you people shouldn't be reliant on the government like that. But they have no problem relying on the government when it comes to filling their pockets and promoting this kind of silliness in order that they can get elected better yet, keep getting elected and making it easier and easier and easier. It's going to get to the point where, because most of their most of their constituents believe that there's massive voter fraud going on. So you and I look at it and we're like, this is absolutely ridiculous. But a person who consumes information from Fox News every day believes that there's massive voter fraud going on and only one party is responsible for it. Yo, um, I, I know I'm going I'm to quote this. I, I, I couldn't say it, couldn't say it any better. This is from the Palm Beach County Chief Assistant State Attorney, Alan Johnson. He says in regards to DeSantis election police, he says they're putting so much money into this task force that it's like swatting a mosquito with a sledgehammer. Basically, he's alluding that there is no voter fraud that would account for so much money for 45 people to deal with in an, in an election year that only takes place twice. Keeping it real with you, the listener, I abruptly stopped part one of What's Up With Florida because there's so much to unravel. Please join me in the next episode as we conclude our conversation. Plus, trust me, there's so much that we touched on. Stand by for my closing thoughts. Before I share my closing thoughts, let me first begin by saying thank you for listening and ask that you subscribe to this podcast, which could be listed on Apple, Google, Spotify, Anchor, or whatever podcast platform you choose to listen to this episode. Once you subscribe, you'll be able to get the latest episodes that drops as well as some bonus features. Follow me on Facebook under Cuckoo, the number four politics, or Instagram under Cuckoo underscore four underscore politics, or my very own website, cuckooforpolitics.com. Feel free to comment on either of those platforms as I welcome all feedback. Now, today's GOP I find is stuck is stuck in reverse of the past and not progressive as it once was. If you recall, in Season 2, Episodes 25, when I talk about the transformation of the GOP, or Episodes 26, where I discuss the importance of voting, I break down the history 
of the party as being the it party, as the GOP, to its credit, was mostly regarded as forward-thinking insofar as social justice reforms versus the Democratic Party, in particular Southern Democrats, who were, at the time, preferred the status quo. It is quite alarming that Florida's ban of certain lesson plans that hints of any themes that raises the subject of sexual orientation and or gender identity is reminiscent of a time when in the state's own history between the years of 1956 to 1965, when a state law enforcement agencies took action and actually physically removed, and I quote, queer people from the classrooms. A Charlie Johns, a member of the Florida State Senate and a former governor, oversaw a study titled Homosexuality and Citizenship in Florida. It sought to understand and effectively deal with the growing problem of homosexuality in Florida schools. The end result led to law enforcement removal of students and educators suspected of being anything but straight in academia. Florida's don't-say-gay law, signed into law by DeSantis, is just the latest attempt, in my opinion, of trying to foolishly wash away the existence of LBGQT people from educational settings and or existence. Granted, the law specifies this only affects children from grades K to 3. But really, how, without providing any evidence, is this a problem now? This law can have a potential negative impact of ignoring the emotional development that occurs during a young child's formative years. As I mentioned before, the Republican progressive brand dissipated decades ago, and the, card, and the current party of supposed personal freedoms are taking unprecedented measures to regulate what students can or cannot read, what they can or cannot learn, and most damaging who they can or cannot be. This is politics at its worst, cynically using our students as pawns in political warfare, said a White House spokesperson. Moreover, DeSantis stated that the premise of the law is to ensure parental rights in education, but whose parental rights is he actually referring to? The nuclear family of mom and dad with two kids and a cat and a dog with a white picket fence depicted in years past on TV shows doesn't exist anymore. It has evolved. Today's modern family are diverse, multicultural, and yes, including gay couples raising a family. There's a natural growing fear that these laws can have a negative impact reverting back to a time to individuals were hiding in a closet or worse, gay bashing. DeSantis and those like him are simply politically pandering to their base and not to the nation as a whole. My thinking is the overall mantra of the recurrent Republican brand can be summed up this way. Prevent people from reading certain books. Prevent educators from teaching about systemic racism. Prevent women from making decisions about their own bodies. And in case of some groups, prevent certain types of people from voting in democratic elections, all in the pretext of not personal freedom, as conservative politicians like to say, but rather deny the evolution of a nation 
that strives to be more of a perfect union for all people. Join me in the next episode as my guests and I conclude What's Up With Florida Part 2, where we will cover the real election fraud, challenges facing Democratic candidates, encountering the misinformation campaign. This is Michael, host of the political podcast, Cuckoo for Politics. Until the next episode, stay blessed.